Well, I don't know how your Christmas was, but uh, generally what I'm picking up from different people is that Christmas was a bit mixed, um, that it wasn't all we hoped it would be. Um, and for, I know for a whole bunch, plans had to change because they tested positive or somebody, somebody who was due to come for Christmas tested positive. But also uh, that there has been a bit of a break, a bit of respite, um, hopefully a break from work, some nice food, some Christmas films, uh, all of that stuff. So it was a little bit mixed, but we're now into January. Statistically, the most depressing month of the year. Happy New Year, everybody. And, uh, and that's in a normal year. And obviously we're in the middle of, um, as we all know, chaos, uncertainty. Uh, it continues to feel like quite an anxious time as, as we look to what the year's going to bring. And um, it's, it's hard to know how it's all going to go. And it reminds me of a time when Mike and I, years and years ago, we went to climb the tallest mountain in England, which is called Scarfell Pike. And uh, the weather was terrible, um, but we battled through it. We made our way to what we thought was the top, uh, this giant pile of stones. And the two of us had a photo taking sort of fists held in the air in triumph that we'd made it. And uh, I've still got that photo. And then we found out about 10 minutes later that it wasn't actually the top. <laughs> and uh, some walkers on the way down informed us that we had a little way to go yet. So then we had to carry on trudging um, up the mountain through the wind and the rain and the fog and... And uh, I remember... Um, Sorry to interrupt there. I apologise interrupting you in the middle of your talk, but is it all right to ask a question? Yeah. Um, who was in charge of um, the directions? The navigation. The navigation. When I was we were in charge. Yeah, oh, that's right. It was you in charge. Yep. Yeah. I just wanted to get that clear in just my head. Imagine how bad Carry on. it would have gone if he was in charge. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah. Anyway, I just remember that last little bit was the, the hardest. I don't know if you remember that. But we were so deflated because we were knackered. We were totally knackered. Um, and then we'd had this moment of thinking we got there. And then all the air went out of the balloon where we realised we hadn't, in fact, got there. We had further to go. It feels to me a little like that as a, as a season of life right now. Um, maybe the people who are a bit more clued up uh, among us thought, you know what? We haven't got there by the end of November, but I certainly started to think, I think we're through the worst of COVID now. It feels like we're coming out the other side of it. And uh, I know there's still lots of debate about whether, how serious Omicron is going to be, but it still feels, doesn't it? Like there's, there's actually a lot further to go than um, we'd thought. And we're knackered, and it can feel like all the air has gone out of the balloon. I was very much looking forward to Christmas. Christmas has happened now. And uh, now we're back into sort of January and the new year. So where do we go and how do we keep going? And what could be a strategy as we approach 2022? One of the things that, that has hit me afresh as I've read the Christmas stories this year has been just how hard it was for Mary and Joseph. I don't know if I've ever really appreciated or taken the time to appreciate that before. Um, you know, you might think that if you were having an angel appear to you, to tell you that you're going to give birth to the Son of God, the Saviour of the whole world, that that would herald for you a kind of a, a season in your life that's going to be comfortable and secure and where you're going to have at least a hospital bed to give birth in, that it's going to be easy in so many ways from this point on. But, but actually, we know the story, and if anything, the absolute opposite of that happened. So for Mary, who, let's remember, she's not in her mid-20s, um, she's in her mid-teens. She's a young teenage girl. Mary 
finds out she's going to give birth to Jesus, obviously is willing to do that, says yes gladly, but, but there's a huge cost to her. She's grown up in a small community and they all know when she gets pregnant. And of course, they all think the worst of her. And it's hard if you are a teenage peasant girl living 2,000 years ago, it's hard to fall lower on the social ladder than that. But by becoming pregnant outside of marriage, uh, which in those days was an absolute shocker, that's what happened. She was disgraced. And then um, <clears throat> she travels to Bethlehem heavily pregnant. That's actually quite a long journey. And though, again, obviously they didn't have cars. So we're talking about a week to 10 days of trekking on a donkey, perhaps um, on foot, uh, heavily, heavily pregnant. And then imagine getting to the place you're trying to get to and there's, there's no room. And we all know it as the classic nativity story. There's no room at the end. Knock, knock, knock. No room here. Try the next one. But actually that would be scary. If you're very pregnant and you're about to have a baby and there's no way you can do it. I mean, imagine driving your wife to hospital when she's in labour and finding that all the doors are shut and you can't go in. So there's, there's nowhere for her to have the baby. The only place that would accept her is a place for animals. That's the only place she can go. And then, of course, she has Jesus. And there, there are these glorious moments in there where the shepherds turn up, having just seen the choir of angels, and they're just brimming with, with joy, really. The good news has happened. And, and then the wise men come, and they bring their gifts, and they, you know, they bow and they worship the baby. And you just think, oh, wow, for, for Mary and Joseph, those must have been moments of just such joy and satisfaction. And, and, uh, and then you would think, okay, well, after that, it's hopefully going to get a little bit easier but it doesn't because um, this is what happens in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. So it says, when they had gone, that's the wise men who've just turned up to give Jesus his gifts and to worship him. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. So what happens is the wise men turn up, give them the gifts, they go and you think, all right, from here on in, it's going to be a little bit easier. At the very least, we've got some gold in the stable with us. But then, um, then Joseph has this dream and the dream is a warning and it's about Herod and, and um, you know, everything that we hear about Herod from history tells us this is absolutely in line with his character, that he would, his plan was to massacre all the babies in Bethlehem in order to make sure that he killed Jesus. And we know from ancient documents, historical sources outside of Scripture, that Herod killed three of his own sons, that he killed his, his, um, his wife, that he killed his mother-in-law. Maybe this Christmas you wanted to kill your mother-in-law. Herod actually did kill his mother-in-law. So this is really in line with his character. And just imagine for Joseph waking up from that dream, turning over, seeing your wife and Jesus. Maybe she's just got him off to sleep. Maybe she's just done a night feed. There they are lying, lying next to you and thinking, I have to wake them up now. And that's what we're told. In, in the same night, he woke them up. They didn't wait till the morning. He woke them up in the night. And imagine how would you say that to her? You know, I know we've just had a baby. I know we've just had this horrendous journey to Bethlehem and we've had to have Jesus in a stable. But uh, we need to leave now because there are some murderers on their way and they're going to kill him. So they flee in the middle of the night with those few possessions they would have been able to grab to a place that they'd never been to before, Egypt. 
and you think after Christmas, it's going to get a little bit easier. After the birth, surely things are going to get more straightforward. And actually, for them, it got harder. So one of the questions I have when I reflect on that is, if I was able to sit with Mary and have a cup of tea, um, one of the questions I would put to her is, how did you cope, Mary? You were just a teenager. How did you cope when you lost your reputation? How, how did you manage, um, you know, when you found yourself with your, perhaps your dream, your plan that you might have had of your life with Joseph, your fiancé, suddenly being, you know, that's not the plan anymore. There's something radically different. How was that? How did you keep going when you had to slog all the way to Bethlehem and then give birth in the stable? What was it like when you had to get up in the middle of the night with your newborn baby and, and flee for your life? Tell me how you managed to do that. Um, how would she answer? What do you think she might have said? Well, I have um, four kids. And so I have been present at the birth of four children. And I can tell you, uh, it's agonizing. It's sweaty. It's a horrendous and painful experience. And that's just for me. Um, I've heard rumors from Beth that it's a little bit harder for her. And uh, I've seen it happen. And yet, Every single time there comes a moment at the, obviously towards the end of all the agony when the baby is born and it's like a moment you, you can't really put into words where the, the baby is handed to the mother and she takes him or her in her arms. For us, they're all being boys. Takes him in her arms and it's, it's as if all the agony up until that point is swallowed up in the overwhelming joy of that moment. And it's not that the, all the agony was not significant. It's hugely significant. But it's like the joy is so great that it's as if it swallows up the agony. And I suspect that if we were to say to Mary, how did you cope losing all that you lost, that she might respond with something a little like that where she would look at us and perhaps say, but do you realize what I gained? Have you seen who I got, who I gained? Uh, the gift of Jesus, I, I want to suggest for her, swallowed up the pain of those struggles. And the pain was real and the pain was significant, but the joy was just so much greater. Um, there's a story that I read years ago now, and it's told by a pastor who was visiting as a chaplain different hospitals and um, he, he spent a lot of time in, in a state-run hospital in America. In America it's a little bit different. You obviously have private hospitals and then you have hospitals where people can't afford healthcare. And uh, he describes an experience he had when he went to visit one of these hospitals and someone he met when he was there. He says this, the state-run hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there and I always left with a sense of relief. It is not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair, 
Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering one part of her cheek and it had pushed her nose to one side, popped <coughs> one eye and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when nurses arrived, new nurses, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman thinking that if they could stand this sight, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway, but I put a flower in her hand and I said, here is a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you, it's lovely, but can I give it to somebody else? I can't see it, you know, I'm blind. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in 10 directions at once with all the things that I had to think about. And the question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about while you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. Lots of folks would say I'm kind of old fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Seconds ticked and minutes crawled. And so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she lay there and sang hymns. And time and again, we see in scripture and I think in the lives of the church that have gone before us, um, a coping mechanism for want of a better phrase, when things are difficult, what people do is they, they lift their eyes to him. They have a heart so full of Jesus that in comparison to the joy of knowing him and loving him, these other things fade into the background. And we could see it. There's so many places in the scripture we could talk about it. Paul is a great example. I'm just going to blow my nose for a sec. In a different way to Mary, his life got turned upside down. He was a rising star in the religious elite. Suddenly, when he gives his life to Jesus, he's, he's on the out there trying to kill him, basically. Suddenly, his whole, his whole plan for his life uh, radically changed direction. And, and he writes this. He says in Philippians chapter 3, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. And the word there is, the Greek word could be translated excrement. It's very strong. I consider them rubbish, excrement, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The church in Jerusalem had the same thing. They were persecuted for their faith. They were suffering. And there's one time where some of the apostles are arrested and and flogged and whipped. And uh, it says this in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, the place they were whipped, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the sake of the name for Jesus. Um, Here are people who are going through real, very real struggles and yet are doing it rejoicing, doing it full of joy. And the only explanation for that is because they understood the overwhelming joy of Jesus Christ, the overwhelming gift that we have in our Saviour. And uh, so we come back to our cup of tea with Mary and we ask her, how have you managed to cope with everything that you've lost? I suspect that she might say, look at who I've gained. And then I look in the mirror And I see the way that I'm trying to deal with some of the struggles that we're going through at the moment. Um, This last year for me, as I'm sure it has been for you, has been full of low moments, full of pressure, full of testing times, full of stress. And uh, I don't have a massive amount of hope for the next few months, if I'm really honest. And we want to be honest about that and we need to grieve those things we've lost well. But I also think a really important way that we can approach this year, actually, to be honest, it's the key way that I want to do it, is I want to spend my time looking to him. What did you think about as you entered 2022? I thought about my Jesus. What did you dwell on? I dwelt on him. And uh, there's, there's this insight that we get into Mary and the way that she did life that comes in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. This is after the shepherds have left her. And it says, uh, the shepherds went off to tell everyone what they'd seen in the stable, who they'd seen. And it says, verse uh, 19 of chapter 2, but Mary treasured up all these things. That's these truths about Jesus, the shepherds had, had heard from the angels. She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And there is a power in considering what we ponder and in what we ponder, in, in what we savour. And, and when I think of Mary treasuring up truths about Jesus and pondering them in her heart, for me, one of the things it reminds me of is really savouring a good meal. You know, we can, we can rush to eat or we can take our time. If you've got a beautiful steak, you want to take your time with that. You want to cut it, you know, a little bit at a time. You want to put some nice Bernays sauce on it or whatever it is that you like and just chew on it and savour it and enjoy it. If you're a vegetarian, a very nice pepper or a beautifully cooked carrot. You don't want to rush that kind of thing. You want to crunch it slowly. And, and in the same way, there's, there's a way of savouring Jesus, enjoying him. That's what we do when we worship. As we express our love, we're taking a moment of also enjoying who he is. Um, and so often our mindset and And our emotions, I would say often, flow from those things that we are pondering, those things that we're pondering in our hearts. So think about it, if you can imagine a memory, think of a memory that you have that's really positive, that's like a great memory. I know for me, I have a number that spring to my mind, like a childhood holiday, uh, where I can remember riding my bike and just having this deep feeling of contentment. When I ponder that, 
that feeling of contentment fills me again. Um, my wedding, the morning of my wedding, I remember waking up and Beth had written me a little letter about some things that she loved about me and why she was marrying me. Of course, then we got married and she realised that some of that wasn't entirely true. But she was still living under the illusion. And I have that memory of waking up and reading that and that's precious to me. Another memory that I come back to sometimes is the first day that I beat Mike at squash. It's a special one. Um, The look of humiliation on his face. Uh, the fact that he realised it was the beginning of the end now and the apprentice had, in fact, become the master. I don't know if you think about that day um, at all. But that, for me, is a, is a memory that I come back to and uh, I dwell on. And you know what? There's, there's, what happens is our, when, when we ponder that stuff, it affects our, our mind, it affects our mindset. Um, there's a power in what we ponder and our culture does not lend itself to doing what Mary did here, which is treasuring up the things of Jesus, storing them in our hearts and then pondering them in our, in our hearts throughout the day. It doesn't lend itself to that. The moment we unlock the phone screen, first thing in the morning, bam, 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 we're hit with noise, we're hit with agendas, we're hit with social media, we're hit with all sorts of voices that just rush at us like this kind of like wild animals. I know about you, but I don't, just, I don't just have the external voices. I've got stuff going around in my head like a monkey in a banana tree, like thoughts everywhere. And, uh, and so with all of that noise, it's hard to ponder him. It's hard to come back to enjoying who he is as a gift. And when we were um, walking up Scarfell Pike, one of the things that we saw every now and then is there were these sort of piles of stones that were, you know, being put there by somebody that were sort of really simple, just walls basically with a curve into the wind and the idea was that every now and then you'd find one and you'd be able to get behind it and when you got behind it you'd before that you'd be walking out the rain would be in your face the wind would be howling and then you'd get behind one of these walls and it was like this moment of shelter a moment where we could we could have a break a moment where I could look at the map and see if we were near the top obviously not very well a moment where Mike could eat yet another snack to give him energy And it was a moment of like, let's recoup and then we'll get back out and we'll keep going. And for all of us, if we don't have those times with him, we're really going to struggle. So where are those moments at the start of this year, this week even, um, where I can get in the shelter and I can be with him and I can remember who he is to me? For for Mary, she would have had the times of stillness, but she would have also, because she's having to flee to Egypt and... She's got a little baby and all the challenges of life she's having to deal with as well. She, you know, the pondering in her heart would have been in the midst of that as well. A little like someone who's a scuba diver. They're in the middle of the ocean, but they've got the oxygen tanks on their back. And that's what means they can breathe normally. We can be in the midst of struggle, in the midst of a hardship, in the midst of a storm even. But we're pondering in our heart the truth of Jesus. And so we're able to breathe normally. We're able to have peace. We're able to have courage. We're able to be sorrowful, yes, but also always rejoicing um, by pondering who he is. And I found... Different people have tried to do that in different ways. Um, I heard of a family a little while ago that whenever they went on holiday, they would have a a verse for the holiday. That would be the memory verse, as it were. They would make it into a silly song and they would sing it on the way. And, and, And the guy that was telling me about it said that they've now got... They didn't just pick any verse. It was like a really meaningful verse for them as a family in that particular season of life. And they look back now, they've got about 15 little funny songs that they can remember that speak to them of these truths that they treasured. 
Um, I know others who, they, they take time to ask God for a word for the year. Will you give me just a simple word that's going to give me direction for this year? And just, just to finish, um, you know, one of the words that I've been chewing on just in the last few days as I've pondered this um, is the angels appear to the shepherds and they say to them, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That word, saviour. And just what it means as we consider that we enter 2022 with a saviour. For me, as I've thought about that, one of the things that's hit me again is he is my rescuer. I do not have to rescue myself, which is great because the more I go on, the more I realise I can't do that anyway. He, 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 this, he doesn't come to me with good advice. He doesn't come to me with a five-step programme for how to get fitter, healthier and better. He comes to me and he pulls me heart, soul and body out of the water onto dry land. He's my saviour. And so I start this year not from a place of how's it going to go depending on my effort, but from a place of rest. I've been saved by you. I think about it, it's like, what's he saved me from? My mess, my selfishness, my self-absorption, my pride, my ego, my sin, my brokenness, those things that I've done that were intentional, that have hurt people, the, the regrets I have. He saved me from that. So I start this year forgiven, forgiven, totally freed. He's a saviour. What's he saved me from? Yes, but also what's he saved me for? For his kingdom and for his purposes. So I go into this year knowing that I have a purpose, that, that there, there are good works that he's prepared in advance for me to do, that I get to spend my life and my energy doing something that has eternal worth, eternal significance, as all of us do, who follow him. And ultimately, he saved me for that. But, but even greater than that, he saved me for himself. And the truth is, he adopts us as his kids. I'm not an employee, neither are you. I'm a son. You're a son, you're a daughter. He's, he's adopted us into this family and that's never going to end. I have a relationship now with the Father in heaven that not even death can separate us. That's going to go on for always and forever. He saved me to enjoy me and that I might enjoy him. I have a saviour. That's a single word of the Bible. There's a lot of words in there. And it's about enjoying him, relishing him, cherishing him, coming back to him. I guess what I'm saying, and this is not going to be a surprise if you've heard us talk for the last two years, but is the strategy for 2022, I want to put it to us, is to look to him. It's to keep coming back to him day after day after day and finding ways that we can store up, ponder and treasure the truth of this. And at the moment, for me, it's the word saviour. Maybe in a few days, I'll move on to a different one. Saviour's got a lot of juice in it, so I'm going to stay here for a little while. Maybe after a little bit, I'll move on to the fact that he calls me his friend, that he's my friend, and I can dwell on that. Maybe if things get really difficult and really dark over the next couple of weeks, I might pick a different one. Perhaps Jesus' uh, statement about himself, I am the light of the world. And I can go through these dark days knowing that I walk through them with the one who is the light of the whole world. That I don't know what I'm going to get out of 2022, but I know who I'm going into 2022 with. 
Jesus himself, the light of the world. The strategy is to look to him. He comes to us. Obviously, we celebrate that at Christmas. It doesn't mean everything gets easy. Um, it, it isn't going to be easy. But what we do know is that he is always going to be with us every single day of this coming year. And that's why in the midst of all the challenges, we can still have a joyous new year because Jesus, the joy bringer, Jesus, the saviour, Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus, the gift to me and the gift to you. He's ours and he's never, ever going to leave us. Amen.